With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. First, our weekly review of business stories from Caixin. China's manufacturing activity expanded at a faster rate in November than it did in October as companies revved up production and growth in new orders accelerated. Equipment manufacturing, high-tech goods, and consumer products all expanded at a more rapid rate than the overall manufacturing sector. Despite the uptick, analysts were unconvinced that the momentum will last. The sector faces increasing headwinds in the months ahead from the anti-pollution campaign, slower credit growth, reduced fiscal support, and a cooling property market, one economist said. China's banking regulator fined the country's largest private bank for selling 250 million U.S. dollars worth of fake wealth management products. China Minchun Bank was ordered to pay over $4 million in penalties, the biggest fine imposed on a bank ever in China. Thirteen of the bank's executives and employees were fined or banned from the banking industry. The Minchun case is the latest in a series of wealth management product scandals. In 2012, an employee of mid-sized commercial lender Huaxia Bank sold unauthorized wealth management products, causing dozens of depositors to lose millions of yuan. The bank eventually reimbursed customers after initially refusing to do so. Violations were also found more recently at other banks, including Agricultural Bank of China, one of the country's largest state-owned commercial banks. A private company in China has been sued for bribing jailers to secure a cheap prison labor deal, the latest of multiple graft cases involving city prison officials. Furniture maker Chuangmei Industrial allegedly paid $50,000 in bribes to officials at Guangdong's Foshan Prison, which is not to be confused with Folsom Prison in the U.S., which had its own cash situation. Chuangmei entered into a contract with Foshan Prison spanning 2006 to 2010 to have products handmade by prisoners. Chuangmei offered kickbacks to prison officials to secure the deal, prosecutors said. Many Chinese prisons operate factories taking orders from companies at low costs and allow inmates to take on paid work. At the trial, the prison's deputy warden was quoted as saying, it is the rule for prison officials to demand kickbacks. Kindergarten operator RYB Education's shares plunged last week after the company was pelted by a barrage of class action lawsuits. At least six law firms have filed or threatened class action lawsuits against the company, following a previous plunge in its share price after allegations of child abuse surfaced at one of its Beijing kindergartens. 
The abuse allegations burst into the headlines last week after parents of at least eight students said they found needle marks on their children. The company lost more than a third of its market cap in a single trading session after the scandal exploded, wiping out hundreds of millions of dollars in shareholder value. The scandal comes two months after RYB's IPO in New York, where its stock rallied on bullish prospects for its private education model. Even after the recent sell-off, the stock's latest close is above its IPO price. It was something of a shock to the auto world when China announced that it will join the UK and France in totally banning the sale of internal combustion vehicles. Although no date for the ban has yet been announced, the commitment set the tone for the future of automakers who want to sell cars in the world's biggest vehicle market. Sales in China of new energy vehicles, a category that includes hybrids as well as solely battery or hydrogen-powered vehicles, have risen from about 8,000 units in 2011 to more than 500,000 last year, which is 40% of global output. In a new segment called Five Things, we walk you through, well, five things you need to know about the issue. So, number one, China has been subsidizing the new energy car industry. Is this going to change? In short, yes. The government wanted the sector to simply grow, but what it got was an explosion. To calm the overheated industry down, Beijing now says it'll completely phase out subsidies by 2020. Two, will the state have a hand in the sector's development? Yes. The government is rolling out a quota program requiring automakers to produce a certain proportion of electric vehicles compared to their traditional models. This is Beijing's way of transferring the burden from the government to car makers. Three, how has the industry reacted to the quota program? Well, they're concerned, but they're adapting. Uh, while car makers like Volkswagen have asked Beijing to scale back the quota requirements, several companies have formed new joint ventures with Chinese partners to prepare for EV production requirements. Four, what about the new permits for electric car makers? Well, in 2015, Beijing started issuing relatively easy-to-get permits that allow companies to produce only electric vehicles in a bid to foster competition in the predominantly state-owned auto industry. Companies rushed to grab such permits with 15 succeeding, including Volkswagen's JV with JAC. But Beijing canceled the initiative this year due to concerns about a glut, leaving at least 20 companies who had filed applications high and dry. Many smaller players have responded by simply partnering with large, approved companies. And five, will foreign ownership restrictions be lifted? Well, sort of. China has long banned foreigners from owning more than 50% of any automaking ventures with a Chinese partner. But the current limit will be eased next year, as long as automakers are producing new energy cars in free trade zones. And that is five things. Uh, let us know what you think. Well, let's turn now to Caixin Global's senior editor, Doug Young, to chat about what's new in the news this week. Uh, Doug, so today we're going to talk to you about corporate gift giving in China, which uh, you've written about in your most recent column. Uh, this is something that many people who've done business in China have some experience with. So tell us, what's the state of corporate gift giving culture in China today and how has this changed? I did a, a bit of surveying with some of my foreign contacts, and it was surprising to me, actually, because I've been in China for a long time. But it, it really turns out the the corporate gift-giving culture, which, like a lot of things in China, is is really quickly falling into lockstep with what it's like in the West. I would say in the old days, things of that were practical and, and maybe more expensive and showy were sort of the thing to do. But nowadays, it's more about showing tokens of appreciation. 
We see things like, you know, something that got mentioned quite a bit were bottles of wine, fruit baskets, you know, the, the kinds of things that you would probably expect in the West. Um, you know, one guy mentioned cigars, which probably isn't that common in the West, probably maybe not so PC, although you might see it among bankers and stuff. But yeah, and then things like chocolates, just essentially it was it was very much similar to what you might see in the West. One thing that I heard that was a little interesting was as the sort of famous brand designer stuff has fallen off, because that used to be big in the past. One thing that's come in is more like doing favors for stuff. Uh, and one guy mentioned specifically, you know, you might look over one of your contacts, kids, college essay, if they're applying for school in the U.S., you know, little intangibles like that might be something that people would do for their business contacts. But it definitely seems like the days of giving big flashy gifts to your contacts are, are probably over. The other thing that came through, too, is seasonality. In the past, among certain people especially, you might give gifts anytime you want something or to thank someone for something. Nowadays, it's pretty much, again, fallen into step with what you see in the West. And there are essentially two major times each year that people give gifts. One is the mid-autumn festival, when usually some form of mooncakes is, is what you do. But again, one of the guys I talked with said, uh, you know, I like to show these guys, sort of put my American stamp on things. And he, he mentioned that he always tries to give Starbucks mooncakes or Haagen-Dazs mooncakes. And then the other holiday is, is Chinese New Year. You have a little more freedom then, and I think that's when they would give like a bottle of wine or some you know, it's sort of a celebratory, you know, similar to sort of Christmas holiday season in the West. So, Doug, in China, you've got a huge bureaucracy. Uh, the government's extensive role in business is a fact of life, whether you're, you're talking about officials themselves or the government-like leadership of state-owned enterprises. And then, of course, there's also the private sector, the private enterprises. Is there a difference in the gifting culture among these? Historically, uh, and historically, we mean really last 20 years, maybe, uh, the big state-run enterprises in the government were sort of one beast. Like you said, they're very bureaucratic. These big state-run companies were almost like arms of the government because they're all staffed by bureaucrats. And then you did have the private sector. I would say the private sector, for the most part, has pretty much paralleled customs in the West. But don't forget the private sector in China is really only 20 years old. So it's, it's really grown up in the shadow of the West. And, and a lot of the people who form these entrepreneurial companies spent time in the West and so forth. Where you used to see the much bigger difference was in the big state-owned companies and government. And that was where there wasn't this giving two or three times a year on specific holidays. It was, if I want something from you or if I need, need you to help me or even if we just get together, I often would give a gift. And people would do this a lot. And a lot of government officials and, and executives at big state-owned enterprises got quite wealthy off this stuff. Uh, you know, they'd be given gifts like cars and all-expense-paid vacations and so forth. But that's gone quickly, the way of the dinosaur in these last few years, because as many people know, uh, Xi Jinping and the central government have been really cracking down on corruption and also lavish spending, uh, which is sort of in the same boat uh, among government officials. So the people I talked with said the big government officials and also the big state-owned enterprises these days won't accept anything except for pretty similar to what the private companies will accept, a nice bottle of wine. But, you know, it has to be reasonable. It shouldn't be like a, a vintage bottle that they bought at an auction for a million dollars. 
a, you know, a reasonably priced bottle of wine, a, a nice meal, and so forth. That's almost analogous to what you've described about China and the West kind of converging, uh, that the state and private sectors are moving closer together in this regard. Yeah, but I'd say the the driving factors are, are very different. You know, the government officials are doing it sort of under threat, whereas the private sector just does that. That's just natural, the way they do business. If uh, the anti-corruption and frugality campaigns were to disappear tomorrow, I think the government would probably go back to their old ways pretty quickly. But if they succeed in sort of squashing this corrupt culture for long enough, maybe the new new mentality will sink in and, and people won't expect that anymore. If you're giving a gift as a foreigner, do you think it's advantageous to give something quintessentially American or European? Or is it better to show your understanding of local tastes and preferences and uh, give something that's more like what your Chinese colleague or a Chinese person might might give. This is one thing I found in talking with people in general is that foreigners get a lot cut a lot of slack in China. And this is not just in gift giving, but just in everything. You know, uh, the Chinese, if you do something stupid, the Chinese will say, oh, he's a foreigner. He doesn't know any better. It probably happens everywhere in the world. You know, if a Chinese person is in a U.S. restaurant and only leaves 10% as a tip, maybe the waiter will be a little more forgiving and say, oh, he just didn't know. So in China, it's the same way. You know, yeah. So some people do like to personalize their gift giving a little more. And some people might not even give any gifts. And the Chinese might grumble a little bit, but I think they'll say, oh, he's a foreigner. He doesn't know any better. So as foreigners in China, we, we definitely get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to gift giving. And, and that does give you a bit more leeway. Well, I'll just end by saying that you are somebody who knows lots of business people. And as a journalist, you know, got to remember, you've got all sorts of ethical considerations. So just remember, when someone gives you a box of Cuban cigars or a bottle of nice single malt scotch, you can always just pass those on over to me, okay? Okay. Sounds good, Kaiser. That's this week's show. Thanks for joining us. Drop me an email at kaiser at subchina.com with your feedback. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SupChina and is produced, recorded, and edited by Kaiser Guo with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin and Tanner Brown of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wufei for the music. Be sure to check out the Seneca Podcast, the current affairs show I host with Jeremy Goldcorn, and follow the news from China every day at SupChina. Sign up for our free email newsletter at subchina.com. Take care. <laughs>